Hello, this is Annie from the Smithsonian American Art Museum's Loose Foundation Center. Since 2011, we've hosted Loose Unplugged, a free monthly concert series that celebrates the work of local musicians. Now we're partnering with Hometown Sounds to bring you tracks from DC artists we love. For more on Loose Unplugged, visit americanart.si.edu slash loose slash unplugged. There, you'll find a complete list of Loose Unplugged artists, videos of past performances, and artist interviews on our iLevel blog. We look forward to welcoming you back to the museum when it's safe to hold concerts again. Until then, stay well, stay in touch, and enjoy these tunes from our neighbors in the DMV. Hey, welcome back to Hometown Sounds. We show you how DC rocks. I'm Tony Pareco. I'm Paul Vodra. And this is the Loose Listening Party, a collaboration with our friends at the Loose Foundation Center and the Smithsonian American Art Museum, keeping the Loose Unplugged series going while things are on hold during the pandemic. And this one actually is the last of the Loose Listening Party episodes uh, that you will receive in your podcast feed. All things conclude. And so an idea that we had was to put together an episode of the best clips, the most memorable stuff, the most fun stuff. And uh, so what you're going to hear on this episode is Paul and I are going to wax poetic uh, about the, the experience for a moment and then just bring you some of the sweetest moments from how many interviews we do, Paul? Like, what, what is the count? 17. So we've done 17 of these interviews over the last year and a half, and they've really become a big part of, I would say, my life and experience and happenings of the <laughs> talking to all of these people. And uh, it's it's uh, it feels good to kind of feels good, man, to just kind of look back on it all uh, and kind of highlight just some of the some of the coolest stuff from it. But before we get into that, Paul, I'm now going to interview you about interviewing D.C. musicians. That's very meta. Uh-huh. So, Paul, I'm going to ask you, what do you feel like you've learned through the experience? Mm, I've learned that musicians are amazing people, so, so smart, um, such great communicators. Uh, we've gotten some really, really awesome answers to our questions, sometimes serious, sometimes silly. I feel like I have learned how to be a better interviewer. I feel like both of us have come a long way in this process and getting into asking the right questions and stepping out of the way to let the let the interviewee really, you know, go crazy with their answers. And I've learned something that I feel like I've known for a long time which is just, you know, how great the scene is in DC and and not even just the scene but all the different scenes that combine into one and how diverse everything is, how it's great to have people that come here fresh out of college, people that were born and raised here. It, it, it all contributes to the greatness of putting it all together into a cohesive music scene. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is, my statement of my biggest statement of gratitude, which I have said to you and I've said to our, our amazing colleagues at the Loose Foundation of 
this this series has taught me how to interview people. I did not know how to previously. <laughs> I used to only just be able to demonstrate that I could play insider baseball and make inside jokes about people's music and impress people with small facts. But now I uh, I've learned uh, how to ask people the thoughtful questions. Also, I look for stuff in people's uh, video backgrounds, like what they have around them. Like uh, seeing Olivia Mancini wearing a Jeopardy hoodie and saying, uh, <laughs> yes. tell, tell, tell us about you in the show. Like it's important to you. And her response being, oh, Tony, I've been waiting my, my whole life for someone to ask you that question. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what you want to hear as an interviewer. For real, for real. Uh, also, I think I want to say something about the power of community and mentorship. And I know that sounds like, whoa, what what are these big concepts? But actually, (laughs) it's the occasion, the act of helping people learn things and do cool things and get better at things. As in, it doesn't have to be a formal, like, oh, like she is my mentor. Mm -hmm. But when someone is in the position to identify like a collaboration and a new role they could have and they or you think to yourself oh i bet that could be good or that that's not a bad idea or why didn't someone think of this years ago (laughs) um so like as in this is an experience that i feel has been one of real mentorship for me through Mm -hmm. this experience of getting better at not talking to people but talking with people Yes, that was so good. Yes, <laughs> nailed it. Yep, and uh, I, I, I can also say, Paul, that actually this experience has made me better at small talk. <laughs> That's good because someday soon we'll all start going back to parties. Mm-hmm. And like the final piece, which actually this is what I say to anyone uh, who asks me, they're like, "Oh, Tony, you've made podcasts for a long time. Like, how do you be good at podcasting?" And mm. this is a lesson that I heard about on the on the subject of improv comedy and that is to be interesting you have to be interested mm-hmm. and uh that is podcasts are amazing of like when you can see the spark when you can hear and feel and see the spark of like someone like having a realization of like whoa like what's that wild thing <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, so as in, uh, I've had lots of fun and, uh, I'm excited for us to have a little bit more of fun as we round out the series. Uh, I guess, Paul, uh, let's go to the tape. Let's do it. We are doing this awesome podcast series where we talk to some really great DC musicians that we would love to feature in that space. And on this episode, we are very excited to bring you Miss Maddie May. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Maddie, when you were a little one, you had a pet pig named Squealer. (laughs) I did have a pet pig named Squealer. (laughs) My first question for you is, um, did you and Squealer ever get down to it and have great lie down cuddles together. 
Um, we did not. I rode Squealer like a horse. Yes. Um, yes. It was a pot-bellied pig. If if you're listening, Squealer was a black pot-bellied pig. We lived out in Dinwiddie in the woods, and we lived in a trailer, and we had a pig named Squealer, and we had a Rottweiler named Obi, and the pig would root the pig. Squealer would root Obi out of his fenced-in little pen, and then the two of them would run out in the woods together and do naughty things, and my dad would have to pull them apart and put them back in their pens. <laughs> I'm really surprised that you brought Squealer up. That's a shocker for me. Um, <laughs> yeah, we had to give Squealer away when we moved out of Dinwiddie and into the mountains. Oh, no. Well, this is the thing. You know how they always tell you when they give your pet away that it's going to a happy farm? This He actually did go to a happy farm. So, so it happened once. <laughs> they put his naughty tendencies to use, and he made lots of little piglets, and I got to meet some of them. Yeah, my dad brought him home in a big wooden crate and was like, got you a pig, Maddie Mae. <laughs> yeah, I used to run around barefoot with that thing. I'm really glad you asked about him. Yeah, that's a, that's a good memory for me. And I, you know, I have a dream maybe of one day having a pig again, but I don't want a, one of those house pigs. I just think that's a mess. And that was About Today by Bartiz Strange. About Today from Bartiz's previous release, Say Goodbye to Pretty Boy, which was a reimagining of songs by The National. So getting a start in in sort of your, your solo moniker career covering The National, um, you've been, I think, pretty outspoken against, uh, you know, applying genre labels to some of your music. So... What's your what's your motivation for escaping or transcending genre? How do you think it affects your your place in the music landscape? What is my motivation for transcending genre? Um I just never thought of it that way. I mean, someone actually someone wrote something like a while ago that was like Archie Strange is like breaking genre barriers and I was like, I don't feel like I'm really breaking anything. I feel like my music is like a museum. It's like you can look at a song and I like to trace the line all the way back. I hear like the Ramones and I'm like, where'd that come from? And I look deep and deep and deep, you know, and I'm like, oh, cool. Like a lot of this stuff is blues. A lot of this stuff is country music, like especially with like emo music and a lot of stuff like that that I grew up playing. I remember like having the realization that like, oh, my God, like a lot of this is just sitting on a C chord. It feels very like Garth Brooks to me or very like you know, Woody Guthrie, even like some of these, those finger picking techniques. And I was like, you know, all this stuff is just so much more connected than we like to admit. And, and I guess like my goal kind of with making music generally was like, I, I mean, I moved around a lot and I listened to a lot of music. And when I made music, I just made kind of like a compilation of the things that I loved. And I kind of thought of myself as like a curator in that museum. I like showing why these things are connected and I think that as from like a personal, you know, history, personal perspective, I, I feel 
this kind of like this loss as genres have been created. I feel like we've forgotten kind of like the roots of why things sound the way they do. And, you know, a lot of that is steeped in like, you know, like black Western art, especially when I think about rock music. And I always thought it was funny that like rock and roll, guitar based music, loud music, it's, it comes from like a, a very black place in America, you know? And I, I, I always thought, why don't we have more like big black rock bands? It feels like that would be pretty normal. Even if you look in like the seventies and eighties, like parliament, funkadelic, Bootsy Collins, Rick James, like these guys are like rock stars, you know, like big rock stars that were given a funk moniker. I feel like really to kind of like sidestep them. And I think that that has had a huge impact on how we see black contributions in the guitar driven rock and roll space. You know, <laughs> yeah, if we wanted to get super heady with it. And so, you know, I feel like when I write songs or when I like present these ideas, it's not because I want to like, supersede like genre classification is because I want to be real about where it came from and, and be like, yeah, let's like, let's talk about why the guitars sound like that. Like where, where's that from? Let's follow it all the way back. I think it makes music better. Also, most people aren't one genre. I think most people listen to a lot of things and feel a lot of ways and aren't living black and white lives and music should reflect that too. Uh, you played football in college and had a football scholarship, but I read it was something that you that it was a, a means to an end. What was it that didn't uh, grab you or keep you in? And then uh, to spin this negative Norman of a question into a positive one, what did you take away from that experience? Yeah, I think um, throughout my life, I always did what I was good at. And I don't think I did the things that I really loved. I think um one thing about moving a lot is you are always trying to fit in. And especially when you're like the only black kid in a white town, you're like trying extra hard to fit in. So I think it's easy to lose yourself in that under those circumstances. And I think that was football for me. Like football was in many ways, like super traumatizing for me and took years for me to kind of like sort through like why like that, whole experience had so much power over me, but I just never liked it. And it took a long time for me to actually realize that. And I remember it when I, I got a scholarship to play football to college in Kansas, Emporia State University. And I just remember thinking like, honestly, like it felt so, I felt like they were taking advantage of us, us black kids. There were so many black kids from the poor towns, you know, tough families, tough neighborhoods from all over the South. And we had all been promised this dream that I knew wasn't real. You know, like all, they were all telling us that this was the biggest day of our life or like, you got to take state. There's nothing bigger than that. Or, Oh, you got to go play football at Oklahoma state or OU or Texas. It's the greatest thing you'll ever do. That's a horrible, horrible thing to set up for a young black person in America. You know, I've seen so many people go through that process and come out of it. And all of a sudden you're, you're, you're a God one day and then you're being arrested for a marijuana charge the next, literally the day you graduate college, if you don't go to the NFL, you know, I, I just, I've seen that system just chew up so many promising young people that could have done so much and it broke my heart and it was hard to be a part of that knowingly. And I felt like I just saw it so vividly in those days 
And so um, quitting football, it taught me to think more about the things I actually want out of life and, and think a lot less about how I can make people more comfortable with my existence, if, if that makes sense. Totally. Our guest this week is Yasmin Williams, uh, amazing guitar player. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is dope. We absolutely love uh, the music. We featured it previously on the podcast, and we're so happy to dig into it more. And it's such a great origin story that I think has been uh, uh, explored a lot. Can you, can you tell us about uh, getting started with this musical journey with a video game? Yeah. Well, it's apparently not as much of an anomaly as people might think it is. I've had plenty of people tell me they kind of got started with Guitar Hero Rock Band or whatever. But I guess I'm kind of weird because it definitely influenced how I play guitar as well. The game. Basically, I love the game. All the songs in the game or most of them incorporated tapping or, you know, like regular guitar tapping, super fast, super hardcore type stuff. And that's what I originally wanted to play, but that didn't work. <laughs> maybe about a year in, I kind of, maybe a year and a half, I kind of gave up on that. And I just realized I wasn't really cut out to be a buckethead or to be a whatever. So I kind of switched gears a little bit and figured out, started playing acoustic guitar because I really love using my fingers instead of like a pick, a regular pick at least. And I love finger style as it turns out. And I figured out how to incorporate the kind of tapping aspects that were in the game onto acoustic guitar in a way that's most natural to me, which is just kind of playing it in my lap um, and adding cool percussion sounds and other stuff. Yeah, that's kind of how that kind of how that started. <laughs> Do you remember the specific moment when you were playing the game and thinking, okay, now, now I actually want to learn to play guitar? Oh, yeah. Yeah, as soon as I started playing. Yeah. <laughs> like the same day I <laughs> I first turned the game on and grabbed the controller and yeah the first time I played the game I just it was probably the first thing I remember like kind of begging for a guitar like I, I never really wanted too much as a kid and I didn't really care about that much but I really wanted a guitar <laughs> like guitar was like the first thing that really kind of stuck out to me and I was like I gotta have my own guitar because I had two older brothers and I just kind of followed them around a lot but that was kind of like the first thing I wanted that was like my own thing. Do you still play Guitar Hero or any other similar games? Oh, I wish. I The last time I played was last year at a music festival, actually. They had an arcade in town and uh, they had it in the arcade and I played it. I'm really bad now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I used to have the game, but I don't know where it went. Somewhere. It's probably in storage or something. But yeah, I'm pretty not good. <laughs> Could hardly do expert, could barely get on like hard level. I was pretty disappointed. But <laughs> well, clearly your talents have, have gone into better places. Yeah, there you yeah. go. That's a good way to look at it. <laughs> Can I ask you one last question about Guitar Hero? Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's cool. If there was an acoustic guitar hero game, oh my god. Would you play it? Yeah. <laughs> I would play it and I would really like kind of 
campaign for one of my songs to be on there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my follow-up question was, who are some artists or songs you'd like to see in the game? And you've kind of answered that. (laughs) That would be amazing if there was an acoustic version. You know, we need an acoustic guitar hero. I think that would be great. Long overdue. And on this episode, we have uh, two of our favorite, favorite DC luminaries, just legends. Astra Via, Jared Nicolay, and Olivia Mancini, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Paul. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for having us, guys. Thank you so much. What are you, what are you drinking now? What is it? Uh, it's Pabst. I got it from Comet when we played there the other night. Nice. All right. You got it from <laughs> Comet. That's correct. What, what, do you, what do you mean you bought it and you took it home? No, sir. Uh, this is part of my pay. <laughs> I put it into my backpack. <laughs> I took it home with me. <laughs> the wages of a musician. Was it warm when they or cold when they gave it to you? And how did you listen? What happened? Is it a skunked beer? I think that's what I'm asking you. Well, Tony, I think that's a fair question, but that would be sort of overlooking the fact that I have been in the music business for like 20, 25 years. So I know what to do when the beer is on ice, <laughs> as it was on Saturday. Please tell me there's a rhyme here, like a like a red sky at night. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. If I could just find something that runs with ice. It's actually a limerick. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, when the beer's on ice, uh, put it in your backpack. It'll still taste nice. There it is. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <my> God. <laughs> but a beer in the morning is sure. Oh, oh boy. Red, red sky at night, right? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. I was trying. I, I failed. Sorry. You're doing great, man. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. But in the meantime, we are very, very excited to chat with Rome and Mark, a.k.a. the Soul Power All-Stars for this episode. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It's good, it's good to be here. Rome, your DJ name is DJ Stylus. Yeah. The question that's been on my mind all afternoon is about the origin of your, of your DJ name. And also, could you tell us about you and your relationship with styluses, which I was first introduced to in 2002 when my dad gave me a, a Palm Pilot for Christmas. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. He just he just going to throw me down into the Pandora's box. So that name comes from college uh, because I was I think I was I think I was a big dork in undergrad, maybe. And I was like, oh, I need a name. But that was like you know, turntablism days. And, you know, I was like heavy underground hip hop kid. So I was like, yeah, um, be DJ stylist. Cause you got to put the stylus in the groove before anything starts. It's like the genesis of everything. You put the needle in the groove. So, but yeah, I also was a, a heavy adherent to the palm platform and operating system. <laughs> For a good long while, pre yeah, pre everything, pre iPhone, pre BlackBerry. I don't know if you just guessed that or if you did some sort of some sort of deep digging research. I don't know. Not at all. I just was thinking about styluses. 
Yeah, it started as as a reference to a a turntable cartridge needle, and uh, yeah, I just I was a Palm Pilot dude for a while for a good for a good run. I remember Palm Pilots specifically about how they taught you their own sort of cuneiform for all the different letters, and it and it completely changed my handwriting to this day. <laughs> to this day, it it altered my handwriting permanently. They they called it graffiti. That's what they called it on the palm. The 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 gestures, the stylus gestures. That's what it yes. And it worked pretty well for being such a immature technology. It worked pretty well. Like it was pretty handy. <laughs> oh yeah, I had a calendar. I had apps in there. I had I used to put my personal and work calendar like separate logins. Like yeah, it was it was popping. I was managing data. I was managing data heavy before Android. What makes a truly great DJ set? Oh, I this is this is something I tell people all the time because these days everyone is a DJ, but at the most basic level I tell people if you're listening to a DJ and you can follow a narrative, they're doing a good job. Because a DJ set should be like any other any other creative work in that it has to have pacing you know like a novel or film where you have character development and pacing and rising action and falling action so what we're doing as DJs is we're using we're using records to create a, a narrative and create a story and the sense of narrative and creating a narrative and also the ability to program your set in a way to put the records together make the records play nicely in a way that you create a shared emotional experience between yourself and your dance floor. So you have this feedback loop where you're kind of conducting your dance floor emotionally, but you're also getting a lot of beta from them, a lot of info back from them. And you just, you know, over the course of the night, you just recycle it back and forth between you and your audience. And people feel like they're having a collective experience. That's when the magic happens. That's when it's a good night. And in this episode, we are thrilled to welcome Rosie Chima of Rosie Chima and What She Dreamed. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Does any part of of the singing Rosie appear in the workplace? How does that part come out at work? How does the singing Rosie come out in the workplace? Sometimes, sometimes I'll drop F-bombs at work meetings or I'll like laugh at myself or maybe overshare. Could you share with us a a classic Rosie overshared at work? <laughs> so this wasn't at work. It was at a work conference, like women in journalism circle. And there were like 60 people in the room. And the very young woman who was like in charge of the thing was like, I love that you're all here and we don't have a lot of time. And maybe this will take up all the time. But why don't we go around in a circle and share where we work? and um, how long we've been there and how we feel like our workplace has failed us as women. And I was like, what do I say? What do I say? What do I say? And then it got around to me and I was like, I know exactly what to say. And I told them about the time a few weeks into a job where I was the only woman on staff, I had a period leak while sitting on a white chair. 
And then I just like kept sitting on that chair <laughs> until everybody went home. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> uh, and that is that is a classic Rosie overshare. That was with a bunch of people that I did not know at all <laughs> and wanted to network with. <laughs> that is so real. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And I did end up meeting some people with fancier jobs than me that week. And we're like, you were at that thing. And they were like, I don't remember you. And I was like, I menstruated on a chair. And they were like, yes, you did. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, damn. Hey, yo, what up? It's Night Train 357. And this is the loose listening. What, what, what? Oh, Lord. This is Herman Simone Jackson. But for sure, you can call me Hormony Moan, and I am your number one player hater. And I'm interrupting this Bama Night Train 357, and these Bamas on the... Uh, what, what, what do you call it? It's called the Loose Listening Party from Hometown Sounds, man. Calm it down. Oh, Lord. Sound like a bunch of Bamas from the DMV. I can't stand it. Hate, hate, hate. Get out of here. Get, get, get out of here. Sorry about that, guys. So, tell us about... Tell us about your friend. I mean, is he your friend? Who is this guy? Who is this guy? Who? What? What guy? We heard of it. We heard of during the show intro. Oh, that guy. Oh man. Okay. So there's this 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 guy. He is a player hater, and apparently his whole job is to hate on you. The whole idea of this player hater character guy, I don't know, is Hermione Moan, Herman Jackson, or Herman Simone Jackson. This guy will interrupt my Instagram to hate on people randomly. And apparently his whole thing is if your life is doing great, it's okay to hate. And so he'll just hate. He'll If you're doing well, but apparently his whole moniker is you haven't made it until you have somebody hitting the dislike button on your YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Be positive. Just keep yeah, keep it positive, right? Right. There's enough negativity in the world. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get to that later. Always punch up, never down. Oh oh, all uppercuts, all uppercuts. <laughs> mm-hmm. What what is the secret origin story of the band name Broke Royals? The band name has evolved over time, but it had two meanings already when it started. Colin and I went to William Mary and Rekka did as well. And that is named after the King and Queen of England. And we were graduating. We were on our at our last years there and we were broke and we were royals. We also recorded in a neighborhood called Kingsmill. And so there was another Yet another royal thing there. And then now our Google alerts blow up weekly with uh, Harry and Meghan news. So that is another thing that we share. (laughs) But, you know, I think over time it's become a very – there's a lot of different things, at least for me, that resonate with that same name. Uh, I feel like we we really enjoyed the – that it was an oxymoron, you know, that it's two words that that don't go together. But over time I I think a lot – I am so fascinated with what technology and modern technology has done to 
us as people and as a society and like the fact that this little thing in my phone could answer any question I could ever have in two seconds. And you can garage band on a phone. I know people that make music and release music that doesn't sound, that sounds good on a phone and that's all they have. That's amazing to me. And you could be technically broke, but with the access to like you, you, there used to be such a divided information and that gap has closed in an interesting way in this one piece at least. So, you know, there's obviously a lot going on, but I do think that we are in this interesting period of where I think broke Royals means a lot of other things as well. And that that's always resonated with me. Colin, thank you for letting us come to your Ted talk. (laughs) (laughs) I tend to talk this way just kind of all the time. So brace yourself. Oh, no, I'm digging it. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not, it's not disparaging at all. It's, I think you, you sound classy F. No. Hey, I appreciate that. Uh, okay. So, uh, Benji, I was kind of peeping your, your Insta earlier and oh, this good. is actually going to, uh, this is going to lead oh, us no. toward a gang conversation. And, uh, we're going to start with Benji. You have a cat named Waffles. <laughs> yes. What was yes? What was the last thing that Waffles knocked over? Oh my goodness! <laughs> That's a close to home question. Um. Oh geez, what was it today? Oh, the last big thing she knocked over. I'm a big house plant person, so I have just dozens of them scattered around my house, and I have multiple cats. So it's you do. just you know it's a problem. And so just the other day, uh, the last impactful thing she knocked over was there's this soil medium called LECA, which is just like balls of clay, which absorb water. And she just broke a pot all over the floor. And for the past three days, I've been stepping on these little clay balls and just like basically like oh, Home Alone style slipping on marbles all day. Style. Yeah, it's real bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh- now, by my count, I believe uh, four out of five Broke Worlds members are cat folk, have have cats in their lives. <laughs> but what kinds of precautions do y'all take in your home life to prevent stuff from getting knocked over? <laughs> oh, Rebecca, I don't. Like to they take run this the house. I don't. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can stop. They're just they you they pick their places. This is honestly, this is a legitimate discussion I was having with someone is they were like how do I stop my cat from knocking over my houseplants because they know I like houseplants and I said you do not you have to learn where the cat wants to sit and you have to place your houseplants structurally so that they will not interfere (laughs) because the cat is going to sit where it wants to sit it is going to go where it wants to go you just have to live your life around the cat I love them they're my babies they mean so much to me and they cause me so much pain (laughs) On this episode, we are so excited to be joined by Wes Felton, artist, painter, poet, rapper, singer. I mean, so much you do. It's amazing. Welcome to the show, Wes. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to be here. A topic I've never had the opportunity or occasion to talk about with a with a hip-hop artist is the art of freestyling. Okay. And it's always struck me as an incredible ability like, how is it that when you're dropping a line, 
that there's another part of you thinking ahead to the next syllable or the next statement that just sounds like so hard to do in real time. Like what is the cognitive multitasking going on? How do you do it? Well, my friend, I can't really give you any suggestions, but in my opinion, you answered your own question. It's not something that's based on complexities or complexion. It's about the ability to kind of proceed the next erection or word that will come up from out of the mouth. Sometimes you got to take your time, go ins and outs, slow down the pace in order to create the next word that will lace the track that's been put in place. Thank you for the live demo. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like you kind of articulated it better than I, I could. Like you made it, you actually, you you basically kind of define it. And that's really what it is. It's really the ability of, of one, improv. So a person can learn how to, uh, uh, you know, through improvisation, you'd be surprised. It's probably like some really good rappers out here that are improvers, that, but they just don't know yet. You know what I'm saying? But it's improv, but then also, yeah, it's like, it's almost like you got to see the future. It's definitely a technique that in an approach. So I would equate it to that. It's like me knowing how stories work and just always knowing that there's a, a beginning, a middle and an end. And it's always about it's about, OK, how do I get from this beginning to the middle or to the end? So as long as long as I get either to the middle or the end, that's all that matters. But you can't stay at the beginning because <laughs> then you're stuck. You know what I'm saying? But it's, it's definitely not easy. It definitely involves practice. Like, that's really what it's about. It's about practice. And I bet you start off real slow, right? I mean, I don't know. That sounds easier. Yeah, it depends. You know, it depends if it depends if you're doing an acapella. It depends on if you're on a beat, because there might be some situations where the beat's so fast, your brain might not be able to move that. But it's definitely like I would equate it to being it's like being able to see the future. It's like it's like you're the actor who's fortunate enough to get the script and you know how you know how the story ends. You know how it goes. But you have to go from scene to scene to get there first. And then I feel like something that some people won't admit is that you have to always kind of have um, maybe I say you should always have like anywhere from five to 15 bars on file that can help you that you can almost use as those transitional to get you, you know what I'm saying? Because sometimes like you can get stuck on the, in the beginning of the story. And if you're not careful, you, <laughs> you forget. So you got to like, okay, let me throw in something about how dope I am. That's a dope lyric I wrote, you know, that I can pull out as like almost like a transition. So it, it's a totally good thing to have a bag of tricks. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. So it involves all of that. It's technique. It's improvisation, and it's also practice. You have to practice. Thanks for all that in-depth insight. You answered all these questions that I just haven't gotten to ask anyone before. <laughs> That's right, y'all. It's, it's, it's the loose listening party, man, the Revenge of the Nerds edition. Fits well with us. Do you, do you think it's important for artists to be activists? I think it comes with the territory. 
you know, I think part of that as an artist is that is that we we definitely are the voice of the voiceless often. We often the thing about thing about artists, we're the closest thing to maybe a politician because we're able to like go from like the hood to like, you know, fine dining. You know, I tell people all the time, it's like, you know, the artist is like the only people that can hang out with the peasants and the kings. And so when you have that that power, it almost makes you like ambassador like. And so as an ambassador, you have to be you you should feel the need to be informed, but also informed enough to have a feeling or an opinion about almost anything. And because art is something that can be used as a weapon and as a tool, but it can be used for change. And you could have you could have like a, a a policy, a political policy that's been trying to get change for decades. And it might be that one song or that poem that inspires the congressman or senator or it strikes the human chord that makes them finally say, you know what? I feel different. And I, I want to vote this way for some, you know what I'm saying? And historically that kind of happens, you know, you never know, you know, people can, can try to get something done and it just takes that poem that changes it. But I think that it's a requirement. I think it comes with the job. But you smell so inviting and I know you think I'm sexy too. I know you think I'm sexy too. So our first guest is Sasha from Lotion Princess. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. So here's a question, Sasha, about your music. So much of your music is about navigating relationships. Um, Has the pandemic changed how you approach relationships and how you are making music related to them? (laughs) That's such a great question. Wow. Yeah. I think that everyone could say right now that their approach to relationships is pretty different than usual and and definitely to to creating too. So between the two of those things, the answer is definitely yes. So before the pandemic started, I met somebody and we started dating and now we're we're still dating. <laughs> I'm in a, you know, I'm in a serious relationship and I am in love. And that is really different that for me, that's not something that I have experienced since I started making music. So I started making music because of a heartbreak. And then over the past four years, I was making music about navigating the ups and downs of relationships that were usually pretty challenging in some way for me. And now I'm in a relationship that's really wonderful and nourishing. And so I have definitely been grappling with what that means for my music. Like I hear a lot of artists talk about like, if I stop being depressed and actually get happy, like is my art going to suffer, you know? And I feel like not exactly, but that's a little bit of what I think about right now. So it like begs the question, should I start writing love songs? Should I start writing happy songs? Like what's coming out organically? And I have written some love songs and I have written some happy songs. And then I also have written some hard songs about, you know, every relationship has ups and downs and every really every relationship has something that is going to awaken inside you that's uncomfortable. So 
of course, in, in this one, the one that I'm in now, there have been uncomfortable feelings that have awakened inside of me and I have written about those. So it was really interesting the beginning of quarantine when I started writing about, I wrote a song that I'm still working on now, but it's like about insecurity and not wanting to loop somebody in to all that shit. You see it come up every single time and it'd be really nice if it just didn't come up, but it's going to come up. And this song was like about not wanting to bring somebody into that, not wanting to bring my partner into like all of the kind of the drama in my mind around my insecurities. So I wrote about this. And of course, like I've talked to her about this myself because we talk and we have a good, we have good communication. So she knew that was something that I struggled with from time to time. And it wasn't news to her, but it was still, it was still interesting to write about it and be like, all right, well, I'm going to sing this song. and like this, you know, this live Instagram or like show her the song. And I show her a lot of what I write, like just little ideas. She loves music so much. And she's like, totally would love to be, you know, along for the ride and the process of a song developing. And, you know, from the initial idea to the, to the end, she just loves to like listen to every version of it. So anyway, it it was like an interesting experience sharing with her something that I wanted to share with the world that was about us. And very scary and also really cool that she was really cool with it. And, um, you know, she like lets me have my my art in a way that I feel really free, you know, to make it without um, worrying you know, how she might feel. But it's kind of like a little bit of a new phase. Like if I'm going to write about us, then I, I need to have that conversation too, you know, before it goes out to the world because it's about her too. And that's her business. Yeah. So that was a really long answer to your question. Um, But my relationship with relationships has changed a lot in the pandemic because I've fallen in love. So it's been a really different experience for me from my the last four years of my life. And it's been a really different experience for my music. Sasha, so I want to ask you kind of an out there question. Like, just, just think on it for a sec. But if a sandwich shop opened that made sandwiches named for DC bands, what would be on the Lotion Princess? Oh my gosh. <laughs> What's on your sandwich? What's on your Sammy? It's going to be really hard for me not to say tuna fish, but I just don't feel like that's a good fit. But it is my favorite sandwich. It really <laughs> is. Tuna and mayo? What's wrong with that? Celery? Make it crunchy? Literally nothing is... Nothing is wrong with the tuna and mayo, but I just I don't feel like it's the lotion princess sandwich. It's a, it's a little lotiony, I'll be real. It's a little, <laughs> yeah. Mayonnaise mayonnaise is a little lotiony. I'm totally hearing you on that, but I feel like it'd be more okay. Like an avocado. Avocado is also really lotiony, so I'm picturing like an avocado and. Free and apple. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe with a little Dijon mustard. Why not? But it needs some like dark greens. I did I forgot about the darkness. It needs some like, you know, some like really deep green roughage in there to kind of like give you give you a little visually that darkness. But you know, you also just like need a little crunch. You sure do. <laughs> oh my. Now I want that sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) We talked about the sandwich you want to make. 
Yeah, exactly. So you've spoken in the past about how you chose the name Flower Bomb. Why was it important to you to evoke the concept of femininity and to challenge it? So for me, like a lot of the a lot of the themes in the songs that I write and that we create together have to do with my life experience and a lot of the things that I like to write about are gender and sexuality and specifically something that I, I guess, challenging through my writing is femininity and what that means and kind of my experience with womanhood and and kind of just figuring out what that means for me. And I don't know, I think a lot of times like women or feminine people are expected to be this like delicate thing. And like being delicate is necessarily a bad thing. Like I think it's a beautiful thing, but I also think there's this other part of me that was wanting to also destroy that idea at the same time. So I think it's just like, it's a name that like fully encompasses kind of the themes that I choose to write about. Flower Bomb, if each of you were a superhero, tell us what your name would be and what your superpower would be. <laughs> Wait, didn't we have, we totally like had a thing like in the early like level ages days with soup. Do you yeah. remember this? Yeah, you called me Superman. Yeah, but like but soup. But like soup, like cans of soup. I don't even remember where it came you from. You made me a t-shirt. But I don't remember like what what the joke was. Because we used to talk about soup or something. All oh, the I think time. we talked about like throwing cans of soup at people. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> like people who came into shows that were being jerks were like, well, just throw soup at them. Yeah. And so then Dan was Superman. I, I feel like Superman's biceps would be cans of soup. <laughs> <laughs> what well, what what would yours be? Oh, I don't know. Um, I can't think of one. I mean, well, I've actually given this a lot of thought. That <laughs> I don't think, <laughs> but like in the past, I'm like I don't think I would want to be invisible because then I would just be too tempted to like. Oh, I know. My superpower would be to take money from like Jeff Bezos, people who like hoard wealth and then redistribute it. That would be pretty cool if I could just like wealth distribution girl. Yeah. I mean, that's not that like funny, but (laughs) well, well, thanks, Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) No, I wasn't saying you're not funny. I was saying you're going to be great. And that almost takes us to the end of this episode of the Hometown Sounds podcast. We uh, thank you so much for being with us on this incredible journey through the pandemic, through the interviews, through the music, to what we hope uh, you all agree is some greatness. We want to thank our friends at the Luce Foundation Center in the Smithsonian American Art Museum one more time. Specifically, thank you, Annie, Bridget, Jess, and everybody over there. You have been mm-hmm. fantastic to work mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been so good. Yep. Thank you again, because 
I'm the other voice and should say it too, and I mean it too. <laughs> and uh, also, thank you to all the musicians that chatted with us for this series. It was really awesome to get to know everybody. Some of them I've become friends with in the in the intervening months, and uh, now finally, you know, shows are happening, and we can finally go see everybody playing in person again. Finally, finally, uh, it's long overdue. To wrap things up, I want to thank everybody for listening. We will be back again soon with more regular episodes of the Hometown Sounds podcast. Thank you so much, Tony. Thank you so much, Paul. And we'll see you all next time.